The views and opinions expressed by individuals on the following program do not necessarily reflect those of the network, Guys Guy Radio, and its platforms. It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins. Guys Guys Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think, feel, and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights of the guests I bring you each and every week to the show. And as I always say, this week is no exception. Today, we're going to talk about the television business, how to break into it, and what it's like. My special guest, his name is Shelley Herman, wrote the book, My Peacock Tale, Secrets of an NBC Page, and it's all about her experience as a page on the NBC network and how she built a career from there. Because when you become a page, you usually have an 18-month arc to make something of yourself and get beyond that or decide to leave the business, whatever. But Shelly made herself into a big success. The name of the book, again, is My Peacock Tale, Secrets of an NBC Page. Really uh, interesting story. Great anecdotes, lots of uh, celebrity name droppings in, in a really good way because Shelly has the experience of working with some of the really top talents in the TV business, and she's a wonderful person also. So I'm thrilled to welcome Shelly Herman to Guys Guys Radio today. Hope everybody's doing well. We're entering summer here in Southern California, and it's finally sunny in the mornings. I live kind of near the coast, so I'm blessed by that, but a lot of times they call it May gray and June gloom here in the kind of North County San Diego area because near the ocean you get the marine layer. So sometimes it's raining in the morning and by noon it's sunny and the further we get into the year the sun comes out a little bit earlier. But it's been a long, long wintery time here and I'm I'm an East Coast guy and I'm still kind of getting my sea legs, if you will, about what the weather's like here in San Diego, but no complaints because it's always temperate, but you just never know. This morning I got up, it was raining uh, by noon, as I mentioned, sunny. Uh, You never know what to wear. It's cool, and then it's hot, and, and there's a breeze, but the ocean is beautiful now, and my son is off from school, and we've got a lot of big plans for the summer. And I've got a lot of great guests for you on Guys Guys Radio. And I think one of the big businesses out here in Southern California, obviously, is the entertainment business. So I always welcome guests from that field to be on the show and also uh, provide some tips for our audience as to if you want to enter the business, what are some of the good ideas you need to have and what are some of the personal characteristics and capabilities that are required for, to make a go of it. And uh, my special guest, Shelly Herman, has got them all in spades. She's an Emmy-nominated writer. Uh, she began, once again, as a page in Burbank, California for NBC, and she worked her way up as a page to get working with Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show back in the day, and also from there kind of catapulted herself into being a very uh, prolific writer and just knows the ins and outs of the business, and I think you're really going to like our conversation 
with Shelly here on Guys Guys Radio today. So if you're interested in the TV business and you're interested in some fun stories with some well-known guest names that Shelly worked with, celebrities that you're very familiar with, that you may not have known some of these details about, I think you're going to enjoy our conversation. So my special guest on Guys Guys Radio is writer Shelly Herman. It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay, Guys Guys Radio. It's the interview portion of our show today. And today we're going to talk about being a page for a major network. And we're going to talk about career paths in the television business. It's going to be a fascinating show. My special guest, his name is Shelly Herman. She's an Emmy-nominated writer whose career began as an NBC page in Bergvam, California. She's got a book. It's called My Peacock Tale. Secrets of an NBC page. It's a fascinating tome about some wild times back in the 80s and the 70s, a little bit in the 80s and 90s. And uh, her um, wonderful experiences and crazy experiences working with stars like Johnny Carson and Freddie Prinze and Gary Shandlinson and uh, Gary Shandling also, and just a number of uh, top executives in the TV business. And uh, I learned a lot from the book. Shelley has also uh, been a uh, prolific writer. She starred in TV series Off the Wall, Night Rap, co-hosted ESPN's Battle of the Monster Trucks, and Mudbox Spectacular. She's guest starred on many TV shows. Uh, she's a member of SAG and AFTRA, the Writers Guild of America. She lives in L.A. She's written over a thousand hours of TV and contributed to numerous books for Dove and Phoenix Books. And she's just an all-around talent an expert in the television field, and just a really wonderful person. I can tell from a book. I just met her now, and it's such a pleasure. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio, Shelly Herman. Uh, it sounds like what she is is she's exhausted after that introduction. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, listen, let's start right at the beginning. So people are going to be curious about this. How did you get your start at NBC, and what exactly is a page? Well, we'll first start off with what is a page and dovetail into how I got started. Um, I lived in a small town, which is now a big town. I lived out in Calabasas when it was still a, a, a two-lane highway to get out there. And I was fortunate that a bunch of us high schoolers would pile in the car and drive down to NBC Burbank to watch the taping of the Midnight Special or The Tonight Show. And I would see these people standing around wearing uniforms, doing nothing. And I thought, I can do that. <laughs> so um, I started inquiring what it was to be a page at NBC and what the requirements are. Uh, it's really tough. <laughs> um, when I got there, the the only thing you needed to have to qualify was to be uh, at least to have a Bachelor of Science degree or Bachelor of Arts degree from college and be 21 years of age. I kind of snuck in the back door that way. And a, a lot of my career has always been not breaking the rules, but bending them a little bit. And um, that's how I got in. Um, I, I didn't know anybody in showbiz. Uh, the whole thing came about in just the most bizarre, wonderful way uh, that started on a girl's trip going to Vegas to see Elvis. And 
the I, there were five of us girls. We all worked at Sears in the Junior Bazaar clothing department. And the three other girls took off to go meet boys. And I was stuck with the girl who was kind of the wallflower of the group. And she's the one who arranged the tickets for us. And I felt badly that nobody was talking to her. So we uh, we went to the cafeteria at the Hilton International and had cherry pie and ice cream. And I talked to her and she told me her dreams and I told her mine. And it turned out her mother's best friend worked at NBC. There you I go. I had a name. I had a way in the door. And I fooled them and they hired me. And then you started wearing the polyester suit that they gave you, right? Oh, my gosh. Yes. And um, I, I, you can see it back there on the. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> it. I, I stole it when I left. <laughs> yes, It's the very one that's on the cover of my peacock tail. Yes. So that's amazing. Tell us a little bit about some of the inside info and terms used by the pages, like the uh, the DF, the OIC, the CBs. You had your own little code language for how to wrangle these stars and also the crowds that came to visit the studio. What would be because the, the, the two primary pages responsibilities were to give tours of the NBC Burbank facility, and they still do that in New York. Uh, at 30 Rock. They don't have the tours in Los Angeles anymore because NBC was purchased by Universal and Universal has their own tour system there. And it's a union. It's a whole separate thing. So the pages here in L.A. don't give tours anymore. Uh, but both coasts, they still would um, occasionally usher shows. Um, again, they have audience service people to do that. What we would do when we were working in Burbank is our secret codes for things were um, OIC, which was the person that was um, outside in charge. And if you saw a person with a clipboard, that was the person to get to. And they kind of regulated the VIP line, the, uh, the tourist line, the get my girlfriend in line. <laughs> but there was one particular code that we had that was called DF. And that was down front. And when I tell you this, I think you're going to go, oh, that's what. what. When we did certain TV shows like The Tonight Show, Johnny Carson liked to have young, happy, enthusiastic people that would sit in the first few rows because they would give him better feedback when he was doing his comedy. That has since gone on. And if you remember when Jay Leno hosted The Tonight Show, he would walk out and he'd slap hands and clap hands and kiss babies when he came out too. that just to get that same kind of energy going. And then there was a third term that was CBs, which was an arcane turn that was the client booth. And that was the pages who worked inside that would take care of the, uh, the managers and agents of people that would come see the TV shows. And uh, it's three very different types of terms, but all very secretive at the time. How did you learn, Shelley, how to uh, wrangle stars? I come from, as we discussed, the advertising business, and we did a lot of shoots with stars, and everybody's different. We had Bill Cosby when I was at Young and Rubicam, who for Jello Pudding for many years, and I wasn't on that account, but I heard some stories, uh, and uh, I, I worked with some other stars who were actually pretty cool. So what? what how do you, you – know, I found that – People are people, and there's going to be stars who are nice to deal with, and there's going to be stars who are very difficult. And we even had in the ad business, some of the top creators were, they they were just not nice people. And even though they were very talented, and you had others who were super talented and super nice. 
How did you uh, learn to identify who was who and kind of manage the, the star mindset? I think that the celebrities that were there and their handlers knew that we as the pages were there to protect them. We were the NBC ambassadors, and it was our job to make the talent comfortable. And if the manager or agent couldn't get the job done, then it was up to we pages to do that. I don't ever remember having a bad incident with anyone. Um, I, in the book, I, I, I say how a few of the pages had some difficulty with Mr. Cosby. I was not there for that. Um, so much so that um, at one point, our, our leader, uh, a woman named Eva Hawkins, wouldn't assign any women to work on shows that Mr. Cosby worked on. And then it got to the point that when The Tonight Show would send their staff down to help Mr. Cosby before the show, they wouldn't send any women. And eventually they didn't send anybody because it got to be too uncomfortable a situation. Did you find that sometimes the stars looked at the pages as just a uh... Props, if you will, something that they could take advantage of. I mean, you were a pretty young lady. You had, uh, and I mentioned, I, I called him Gary Shandelson before for some reason. McLean <laughs> Stevenson, I meant, forgive me. And oh. um, it sounds like he chased you around a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, it, it was a different environment back then. And um, there was one executive who had said to me, you know, if you fool around with me, I'll give you the job. And I was so indignant about it because he was dating a friend of mine. And I was more upset about that. And I went back to the girl and told her. And I thought she would march into his office and tell him off. And instead, she never spoke to me again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so much for the girl code that way. But with McLean, I actually had a friendship with him going. Mm -hmm. It's detailed in the book, and I know it sounds really bizarre, and it was bizarre, and it was funny, but I actually thought that I was doing what I was supposed to do as a page at NBC. I was watching him tape his show. I was observing what I wanted to be a writer, and I thought, this is how you go about doing it. And then when I was called to his office as a page, as my job, um, and he pushed the little button under his desk and the door closed. Um, I just started laughing because I'm five foot nothing. I'm I'm not like Farrah Fawcett. I'm not a trophy girl that way. And the fact that somebody was hitting on me, it made me laugh at first. And then it got kind of serious. And then I was able to get out of it. But um, I would say 99% of the other pages and I all had very positive experiences. Mm -hmm. Okay, Guys Guys Radio, my special guest is Shelly Herman. The name of the book, My Peacock Tale, Secrets of an NBC Page. It's an amazing tome. It's got so many fun stories with a lot of names you're familiar with. You know, as mentioned, I come from the advertising industry, and there's so many parallels between TV and advertising in that. It's a lot of good-looking people in the businesses. And, and back in the day, I think when we were both doing our thing, um, people dated each other in the business because you spent so much time at work. You were around attractive people. It was a fun business and nobody really thought too much about it. 
Nowadays, it's a whole different ballgame. I talk to my friends who are still in advertising and stuff, and it's like nobody's dating anybody, and it's strictly business. And even the ad businesses, it's all digital now. It's a very different uh, creature, if you will. What do you think about how life was then, and is it was it better then, or is it better without all of the shenanigans and the inner office dating? Uh, I, it, it's not just the shenanigans. I, I think it's also highly irresponsible in an in an age when casual dating could be a death sentence. So there's there's that aspect too. Because when when I was young and frisky, we didn't have to worry about uh, communicable diseases as much as people do now. You could get a shot and everything would be fine. Thankfully, I never needed a shot, so <laughs> we're we're good with that. Um, it, it was a fun time, and there weren't any restrictions on on dating each other at NBC. And not only did I date a few people, but uh, there were a few people that actually got married and and had children and lived happily ever after. So I I think it's a, a matter of character on if you're going to date somebody. And certainly, there was one guy I dated, and I was really crazy about this guy. And I was going through my I am woman, hear me roar. I'm a feminist. I can date anybody I want to. And I was really falling for this guy. And I was kind of surprised about it. We worked in very close proximity to each other. And when the relationship didn't work out, I still had to see him every day at work. <laughs> right. And uh, and I and I did it in such a way where I I, I might have come off as being um oh. <laughs> the word that rhymes with witch. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't exactly end the relationship in a in a very nice way, but he didn't either. And uh, you'll have to. It's funny. It's in the book, but you'll have to hear about it. But I've I've told my husband about the story too, and he's actually met the guy before, and he looks at me like you dated him. Uh. <laughs> one one of the funniest uh, passages in the book, and there's so many. Is like there was a gentleman. I believe his name is Travis, and uh, you you guys kind of were having your own uh, business and then he used to bring all he it was the height of bro culture it seemed like he'd just have all his buddies pile into his place whether you were there or not and regardless of what you guys were doing and uh, he asked you one time to go out and get french fries for everybody like 20 dollars worth of french fries for all his his uh homies if you will and it just seemed like well, he didn't ask me to get french fries let me let no. me okay. he, he just he just <laughs> held a 20 dollar bill over his head <laughs> And said, could you get us something at McDonald's? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll get you something, mister. Oh, yeah. And $20 worth of McDonald's French fries in 1976 was a lot of French fries. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I walked back into the house and all the guys were sitting there watching the Lakers. And I dumped the French fries all over the guys. And I, and I turned to Travis and I said, never call me again. <laughs> of course, I saw him at work the next day, and uh, he came up to me a couple days later, and uh, he just smiled, and he he reached in his pocket, and he pulled out some silver earrings, and he goes, you left these at my house, and I went, those aren't my earrings, <laughs> awesome. and uh, I, I, I'm delighted in telling my friends this story about, I, I, I call Travis French Fry Guy when I tell the story, and all of my female friends are like, yeah, you did it. Yeah, you showed him. And most of the men go, why did you do that? Why didn't you? You know, I tried talking to him. Talk wasn't going to help. 
And then, and my husband, when I told him the story, just said, um, well, did you have ketchup? With exactly. The exactly. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. Now you dealt with, uh, you know, part of the star perks is limos and limo to and from the show. And you sometimes got limo duty. That was pretty funny. Tell us some stories about that, Shelley. Oh, it was it was like going on a grown-up field trip. Oh my gosh, it was <laughs> so fun just to get out of working just at NBC doing the tours and and ushering the shows. Um, I, I had so many wonderful celebrities in the limos, and I remember there was a an actor, Gil Gerard, who was uh, Buck Rogers, right? And uh, the limo had just got a, a phone in it. And, and he was, can I call my parents? Can I call people? You know, it was it was fun that way. Most of the time I had to sit in the front seat because I would get car sick in the limo. So um, the, and then sometimes there's like one guy that said, could we stop by Jack's house on Mulholland um, to uh, he was interested in getting some um, illegal substances to take on the plane with him. And I wasn't going to let that happen. Not on my watch. It wasn't going to happen. Um, and then there's some of the pages who um, they, they had um, this one guy for the uh, the Rose Parade and it, he had stayed up all night partying for New Year's Eve and, and had vomited all over the inside of the limo. <laughs> uh, there was those things. There was um, there was a time I don't do you want to join me to mention the Gilda story with a limo? Gilda Sure. Rather? Sure. Uh, this didn't happen to me. This happened to uh, my friend Pete Hammond uh, and Linda Levinson Taylor and Melissa Hunt. Uh, they escorted Gilda Radner to a press event. And she at the time was the number one star on the NBC network. And she finished her round of doing the tours. And uh, she turned to Pete and said, I have four hours before I have to get in the limo and go back, get on my plane to go to New York. I've never been to Hollywood. Show me Hollywood. So Pete and Linda and Melissa hopped in Pete's Mustang and they drove all over Hollywood. Gilda put her hands in the, and footprints at the Chinese theater. She'd never had falafels. They got her falafels. They got Stan's Donuts in Westwood. She was dating a guy at the time whose parents lived in the Fairfax district. And she went to meet them. And Pete's like, oh, I'm nervous about getting her back to the the plane and the limo on time. And sure enough, his car ran out of gas. So Pete, being the gentleman <laughs> that he is, he sat in the car and steered it while Gilda and the other two <laughs> pushed the car. And, it, and the irony was it was right in front of CBS when all of this happened. <laughs> so they quick gassed up the car, got her back to the limo, and, and Pete got in the car with her and, and got her to the uh, airport on time. Amazing, amazing story. Now, you also worked on a lot of game shows. You seem to have a, a skill set and affinity for game shows. And you work for some really talented people like Chuck Barris. Tell us about your experience with game shows and working with somebody as brilliant and as quirky as Chuck Barris. I adored Chuck Barris. Uh, I, I actually knew him and a couple of the people on the staff before I got the job at NBC. Because in 1972 and 1973, I was a contestant on the dating game. And I had a chance to kind of see how things were backstage at a production company. And Chuck and the boys would have me come in and do game show run throughs so they could test different game show concepts. And I, I really liked that, the playing games and, and watching these, these brilliant minds uh, 
find just the right thing to make their show special to sell to the networks. So that when I got to NBC and and Chuck and the boys were there, it was like, hi, everybody, you know, let's go have fun. Uh, and one time when I was on a tour and there's there's a picture of it in the book, uh, I was just minding my own business, giving a tour and somebody grabbed me and said, quick, Chuck needs you. So I was, oh, OK, yeah. And they brought me backstage and Chuck said, stand here with these girls. When the curtain opens, walk out. You'll know what to do when you get there. And I'm like, humana, 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 humana. I don't know what to do. So we walk out to the, the theme music. And I was standing with other women who worked in different capacities at NBC, sound mixers, prop women, painters. And he said, uh, these are the girls at NBC. Girls, I'd like you to introduce yourself. So we turned to each other and we shook each other's hands and we introduced ourselves to each other. So that was his opening bit that we used. So I, I had my 15 seconds of fame on the gong show because of Chuck. Wow. And uh, always there was always the rumors, was he in the CIA or not? What did you make of all of that, Shelley? Isn't it fun that you're still asking that question all these <laughs> years later? And that's the genius of Chuck. Yeah. As it was with another person. Andy, Andy Kaufman, about, right? Andy Kaufman, yeah. All these years later, people still don't know. And uh, I love that. No, that is that is brilliant. Now, let's. this all leads up to you worked with Carson. What was it like working on a Tonight Show? It was the best job in town. The people that came on the tour, of course, all wanted to see the Tonight Show. And most of the time they couldn't because those tickets were hard to get. Maybe if they were in town a little bit longer, they could wrangle some tickets. But the beginning part of the day, we could bring the tours into Studio One, where they did the Tonight Show. And we could tell them all the specifics about, you know, how many seats and the band is here and this is this and this is that. So some people got a little bit of that stardust on them from the Tonight Show. Uh, but then at two o'clock, the big doors would close and we couldn't allow the tours in there anymore. And that's when Doc and the band would rehearse the music for the evening. And we, as pages, if we weren't doing something else, we could go in and watch rehearsals. So we could see every big star in the world in their unguarded moments during these tech rehearsals. And then sometimes Johnny would even be rehearsing a sketch he might be doing that evening for like as Art Fern or for the tea time matinee or a, a, another comedy bit with the Mighty Carson art players. And I always admired how even though it was a casual atmosphere, Johnny was always very supportive of everybody that was there. He wanted things to go well, and he he admired his writers. And he he was never one of those people that that showed up and was a slacker. He 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 worked. That's another thing. People think that Johnny just worked for an hour a night. He was up first thing in the morning. He read several newspapers. He was talking to his writers saying, hey, why don't we try this, uh, you know, airline humor? Why don't we do Nixon humor? And he would give them ideas so that by the time he got to the studio at two o'clock in the afternoon, most of the jokes had already been written. And then he could just start putting them in the show and figuring out which joke goes where and which jokes don't work. Consummate professional. And with that said, he was out the door 10 minutes after the show was over. Did, did, he, did he ever improvise or uh, some folks have told me that everything was scripted on his, his show, everything. 
So is that true or did he ad lib at all? Well, the opening monologue was not a verbatim monologue. It had key words on a cue card that would get him to the punchline. So those were his own words and his own beats and and feeling out the crowd of nearly 500 people a night that would be in the studio to hear the jokes. Uh, no, he was not scripted. I, 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 could, I can safely say that. And even on the like mighty Carson art players and some of that stuff, there, there was, there was plenty of room for ad-libbing in there. Okay. My special guest on guys, guys radio is the amazing Shelly Herman. The name of the book is my peacock tale secrets of an NBC page. Now the arc of a page is usually around 18 months. Now, obviously you catapulted from there. What what happened? You, did you feel like you're on the clock in that 18 months? Were you just taking more and more information in, making more and more contacts and connections? And did you have a path that led you from the page work to your further career? Oh, I was definitely on the clock. And, and my clock, again, I don't break rules. I bend them a little bit. Uh, my clock got um, extended because uh, during part of the time I was a page, I broke my leg. So um, I was assigned to work in the story department reading scripts. And that was a wonderful internship. I learned so much do, do, doing that. Um, in fact, I know, I know that a lot of your audiences uh, like to hear things about career and how to do things. And I got one of my biggest career pointers working in the story department. Because I thought back in the day, if you want to get ahead in this world, you've got to learn shorthand, boy, and you have to sit in and, and take notes and writers meetings and stuff. And I, I couldn't do it. My brain just wouldn't do it. And I was just in tears. And a woman from the story department came over to me, Janet Greek, And she said to me, and I quote, if you don't want to do something for a living, don't learn how to do it. <laughs> I love that. And that freed me up so much because I realized, well, all these other men who were doing these jobs, they don't know shorthand. Why was it incumbent upon me to learn? So I, my, my page time was extended because I had that little blip in my career. Now, nowadays, let me back up too. If somebody's interested in becoming a page, um, there's about 16,000 applications that are received each year. And they ask you now to send a two-minute video in along with your resume. Then if they are interested, they'll, they'll talk to you on the phone. And then the next level is they will fly you either to New York or Los Angeles to meet in person with them. And they'll pay for that, which I think is wonderful because there's so many people that don't have the financial means to get this kind of an opportunity. So I really applaud NBC for doing that. And you have... 12 to 18 months to hopefully make the contacts you need to make so that you can pursue a career or realize I'm out of here. This showbiz stuff ain't for me. You, you know, you're under no contract to stay with NBC once those 18 months are up. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like you took to it like a duck to water and you really made the most of it. How did you, uh, when you got an assignment, like read some scripts, did you have any background in storytelling in terms of, you know, knowing what does the main character want? Why can't he or she get it? 
the escalating conflicts, all that standard stuff? Or did you just read it and say, hey, this works for me? If it doesn't, what was your, did you just like plow into it and say, I can do it? Well, I always plow into everything and say, I can do it. (laughs) (laughs) I can tell that. I can tell that, Shelly. And much like Lucy Ricardo, I figured it out somehow. Um, No, when I I was in the story department specifically, um, the, the main thrust of what they were interested in is is the lead character somebody can that the, the, the viewer would be able to relate to or is identifiable in some respect. So that was what we were going on as if, if it's something that the, the, the viewing audience would embrace that character, identify with them somehow. And that was the only criteria. I'm pretty good about, I was, a, I, I still am a big movie nut, a big TV nut. And um, that's why my game show brain is so active is because I know a lot of trivia. So uh, without knowing I knew structure, I knew structure. I knew how to tell a good story. And I could see where a plot point was shoehorned in someplace that, that didn't make sense. Or if there was a red herring that just didn't pay off somehow. Um, so it's an instinctual as well as some direction. Mm-hmm. Now you've written over a thousand hours of TV work. What type of stuff did you work on? What did you enjoy working on most? Gosh, I love, I'm a game show geek. I, I do like game shows and people say, well, who game shows, they, they have writers on game shows. Um, <laughs> yeah, because, um, Ken Jennings and Mayim Bialik don't make up all those words and they don't make up the clever way of giving the clues out to people. And any game show that you're watching, whether it's Weakest Link or even something, you know, really lighthearted like Supermarket Sweep or something like that, there there is a drama to each of those shows. And there's questions that are written, there's dialogue for the hosts, and it builds to a certain point so that by the time that 30 minutes is over, you've had hopefully a little bit of a emotional roller coaster and a little cathartic experience when it's done. Very well planned. Amazing. What do you think of uh, all the cooking competition shows? They seem to be so popular. I'm addicted to beat Bobby Flay. I met him. He's exactly like he is on the show. He's he's fun. And uh, I find the shows uh, very entertaining with a little edge to it. Well, I'll I'll tell you, um, Mark Summers, who was a, a host of many game shows, most remembered for Double Dare. Uh, I, I worked for him once on a on a food show. Uh, he he had done the unwrapped shows about ever wonder how a Tootsie Roll is made, and right, right. and so I interviewed with him. And I went in for the interview, and I said, "By the way, uh, they gave you the wrong information about Heinz ketchup when they said that it comes out at." Uh, at 12 miles an hour from the bottle because that's incorrect information because I was going to steal that question to use it on supermarket sweep. And it's actually, and, and I just, blah, 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 and he hired me because um, he knew I was a foodie and that I, I wouldn't make him look bad. Amazing. So what, so tell us about some of the shows you worked on and a couple of funny stories, if you have some. Oh gosh. There's Remember sweet. supermarket sweep. That was, you had a timer and you had to go through with the cart and through the aisles and grab stuff. Yeah, and you know there there's certain shows like a supermarket sweep show where you want people to guess the answers. You want them to build up the time so they can run through the supermarket because that's the big thing on the show is the the hunting and gathering 
of that last portion of the show. Uh, but we, we would have people that would hurt themselves because they get overly zealous. Oh, here's something. This is a little secret. Um, <laughs> when they would go to the meat counter where they would have the hams and the, the, the turkeys and the chickens and things like that, all of those were fake food. Um, why you ask? Because when they first did the show in the sixties, when ladies were like wearing high heels and dresses and running around with their shopping carts, uh, they would pick up the meat or the turkeys and things, and they would get the juices all, all over their clothes and it would get smelly and icky. So, um, they realized if they had synthetic food in those sections, but everything else in the supermarket was real. And it's amazing because I guess guys, grocery games uses kind of the same template in a, in a way. So the ideas get recycled. Um, what do you think of the, well, the... He uses elements of several shows there right. because he's got the shopping cart, right. but then he uses elements of other shows about mixing unusual ingredients together with a timed element to it and judging. So I would say there's probably four different concepts of shows in there that make up that show. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Um, why do you think that some of these shows like Price is Right uh, have been... Uh, Jeopardy, obviously. I think Jeopardy, it's obvious because it's, it's mental. It's one of the most challenging one that anybody can relate to. But things like Price is Right, which is kind of silly. What's the what's the magic there? I mean, how come is that still on the air? Nostalgic, comfort food, habit viewing. Nothing wrong with that. And if somebody remembers watching it with their grandma or when they were homesick from school and they enjoy watching it now, that's great. Plus, Price is Right keeps reinventing the games. It's it's never stale. And when they bring a game out, people are excited to see it because it hasn't been overused on the show. I think Drew Carey is an excellent host. He genuinely cares about the people. He's the show isn't about him. It's about the contestants. And that's a big difference, too. I, I think Wayne Brady does a great job, too, because yeah. even though he can put his, you know, he can sing his songs and do his improv. It's about the contestants. And I, I think for Wheel and Jeopardy, again, habit viewing, but two totally different concepts. Jeopardy, I think people like it if they get one or two answers a night when they're watching it and they feel good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wheel of Fortune, I think, is a little more accessible <laughs> to yeah. people. What? Uh, so after working on game shows, uh, tell us about how your career unfolded from there. Well, I continue to work in game shows. Uh, that will always be something for me. Okay. But I, I've, I've, I've written quite a few other, uh, like talk shows. And again, who needs a writer on a talk show? You, you need to like give everybody like four or five questions asked and answered by you as the segment producer backstage so that hopefully the host looks like they know what they're doing. Uh, I've, I've written TV pilots. I've performed. Um, that, that, again, how do people get into show business? I had no intention of being on camera. I applied for a job as a writer for a show called Off the Wall. And I was performing in an improv comedy group because people said, get into improv comedy. It'll help your writing and it'll help you so that you won't be intimidated speaking to people in a job situation. So that sounded great to me. So I applied for the job with Off the Wall. I said, come down and see my improv group. And they said, we like you as a writer 
and we want you on camera. That's fantastic. Well, you have that magic personality, so that's a great thing. Oh, now, also, you. I want to ask you about writing jokes because you mentioned Joan Rivers in your book and uh, a buddy of mine, Brad Zimmerman, he's got a one-man show, but he opened for Joan Rivers for many years. And he used to, his his description was very similar to yours in the book. And he she would pay for joke jokes, not that much. And I guess the question is, how do you write a joke? What are what's the template for a joke? Or is there well, one? There's that, that there's that old thing about uh, tragedy plus time equals comedy. Okay. Uh, and I think you have to if if you're writing for somebody like Joan. You have to know her sensibilities. She's not going to do uh, a joke about playing baseball. That wouldn't have been a joke for her unless it was, you know, somehow morphed into something in her wheelhouse somehow. But you have to, with with all kinds of writing, when you're writing for a character, you have to know who that character is and how they feel. So once you know that, it becomes organic. And there's different types of humor. There's there's observational humor that somebody could do. There is a setup punchline kind of jokey joke kind of thing. But most of the time, if you're trying to write a joke, you can't write a joke. If you just let it happen. And if you see somebody who you might comment, if, if, if they look tacky, that would have been a, something Joan Rivers would have liked. If it was, uh, you mentioned Gary Shandling earlier. If it was something where you saw somebody in an awkward position, that would be a joke that Gary might like. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the the other thing, too, is try them out on your friends. Yep. You know, what do you think of uh, today's comics? Particular, I guess the hottest one is Sebastian Maniscalco. And he uses he embodies the, the jokes very well. He really has great body language. What are your thoughts on him and some of the other uh, big uh, acts out there nowadays. I'm finding more of the acts that seem to be appealing to a wide range of people are storytellers. They're not looking to tell jokes. They're, they they want you to feel. And they want to say, I'm going to take you on a ride now. Here's a story. Come along with me. And I also find that whatever jokes are offensive or me too jokes, um, you can still do those in the right context. A comic should never be afraid to say anything. But if what you're saying is offensive, then it's not a joke anyway. Um, I hearken back to like Don Rickles. And people go, oh, uh, Don Rickles could never do his act now. I disagree. I think we need Don Rickles now more than ever. Yep. Because what he showed was the absurdity of people having these negative stereotypes about people and by taking on everybody in the room being a bulldog about all of that stuff to the point that everybody's laughing at each other everybody's hysterical and then rickles you know drop the mic you know guys <laughs> we're all the same yeah <laughs> you know that's a great point it's interesting also with comedy that a lot of people say that comedy is based on an, an attack it's uh, what do you, what do you think about that? That it's an it's really aggression. If you listen to some comics, that seems to be true. Other comics, not so much. I don't think it's always an attack. It can be. Um, I've listened to many comics, men and women, who uh, 
are just observational and just don't understand why something happens and they tell you why it's not a it's not an indictment of anything it's just you know you know like jerry seinfeld his innocuous thing about you know you know why is there always a sock missing from the dryer you know that's not an attack it's an observation and we can all identify with it yep that's true um and speaking of his show i think it's fascinating because some of the comics on there, I mean, he's he's top of the game still. And he puts the guests, I like this, on the spot where they have to deliver. And some of them are very, very funny. And some of them aren't very funny in conversation. What are your thoughts on that? Are, think, all, are all comics funny? No, and I don't know that it's incumbent to always be funny. I think it's incumbent to be like it's like it's like looking at a, a painting. Somebody might think the painting's ugly. Somebody might think the painting is beautiful, but it elicits a response. Mm-hmm. So um, you can't say Andy Kaufman was funny all the time, but you couldn't take your eyes off of him. Exactly. Exactly. So you've been interviewed a lot, and you've interviewed a lot of people. What would you like to be asked as a guest? To be Mrs. Kevin Klein, but I don't know that that's going to happen. I think what I'd like to be asked is, um, how much can we pay you to make a TV series out of your book? (laughs) That's the thought that's on my mind right now. It would be a fun series, and it would capture a specific time where there was more innocence and more, you know, devil may care attitude in the world. I think it would be terrific. So what are your steps in terms of shopping your book to be a show? Well, I can, I can only hope that uh, the writer's strike uh, ends quickly and that the Screen Actors Guild is also able to come to terms quickly uh, with their needs. It's not, it's not unreasonable what, what both of these unions are asking for. I remember standing in a ballroom at the Hollywood Palladium Hotel and and the people were saying from the Writers Guild, uh, we've got we've got to give these producers a chance. There's this new thing called HBO and we, we've got to lower our fees so that we can try to help this burgeoning new uh, form of entertainment come to pass. And we never, ever recovered from that. And since then, um, not only have the, the 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 fees been lower for writing scripts, the residuals, which is what carries writers through till their next project, that base has been all but eliminated from these these services. Uh, foreign residuals aren't what they used to be, and the same goes for actors, where actors and writers both aren't able to make their their minimums for their pensions and for their health insurance. So now this starts affecting families and children. So it's not just a bunch of rich people, you know, sitting around drinking martinis. So when all this is over. And everybody's happy. I plan to shop the book around and uh, see if somebody wants to do a TV show out of it. Think like Mad Men versus Sex in the City in the 70s. That's kind of what the vibe is. It's a lot of fun. I think it's going to happen. And uh, thank you so much for being my special guest on Guys Guys Radio. Last question for you for our audience. What's your best piece of advice for people who want to enter the television industry? My best piece of advice is to listen. And after you listen, ask, what would Lucy Ricardo do? (laughs) Figure out a way to get in. Yep. 
Got it. Love it. Shelly Herman, my special guest. Again, the book is My Peacock Tale, Secrets of an NBC Page. Great to meet you. Best of luck with the book and the, hopefully the series. And uh, hopefully we'll talk again at some point. I look forward to it. Thank you. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Okay, what a terrific conversation with a real pro in the TV business, Shelly Herman. Shelly has been on the trail of the TV career path for many years and has made it. And the insights that she shared with us today are super helpful. And she has a lot of fun stories and anecdotes. Again, the name of her book is My Peacock Tale, Secrets of an NBC Page. So if you're interested in becoming a page as a way into the business or just learning about the TV business, how it works, and about game shows, and also some of the uh, uh, talk shows. She worked with Johnny Carson, amongst others. Shelly's got the goods, and she's got a lot of great insights, as she shared some of them with us today. And there's a tremendous amount of anecdotes and famous people, uh, little tidbits about them, and her and her uh, colleagues' experiences with them in the world of television, kind of behind-the-scenes look. So what did we learn from Shelley about the TV business and breaking in? I think, as Shelley mentioned, the key attributes for breaking into TV is the same as anything else. And I know this was the same for me in advertising. You've got to listen. You've got to look for your opportunities. You've got to ask for the order. You've got to be aware of your surroundings. You've got to think quick. And you have to be of service. You have to add value and have a creative mind and be curious. And Shelly lays it all out in her book and also, I think, uh, shared some terrific tips about breaking into the business and what it takes from a personal characteristic standpoint. And just, you know, being there and being uh, having your antenna up when those, when those opportunities show up to be ready to jump on them. So Guys Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening on KCAA Radio here in Southern California at 8 p.m. Pacific time. 106.5 FM, 10.50 AM. The show rebroadcasts on KCAA once again in prime time every Sunday at 6 p.m. Pacific time. You can listen live, you can stream, you can download the podcast, YouTube, and Rumble, all post worldwide every Thursday. They kind of get staggered throughout the day, but they all come out at some point on Thursday. If you want to watch our interviews, you can check us out on YouTube and Rumble. It's called Guys Guys TV, but just use my name, Robert Manny, to find the show or Guys Guys Radio, and it'll take you right there on YouTube. And you can watch if you want. If you prefer to listen, the podcast has been downloaded in over 100 countries. We chart frequently worldwide. I love having a global audience. And we also are now on UK Health Radio, the world's largest talk health radio station. It's digital. And we're on four times every weekend. So there's so many ways to catch Guys Guys Radio or Guys Guys TV that you have no excuse not to be able to find us because we're pretty much everywhere on all the big podcast platforms. And if you enjoy the guests and content I bring you each and every week to Guys Guys Radio and Guys Guys TV, I ask you one simple favor. It won't cost you a penny. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Rate, review, follow on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume Guys Guys Radio. I'm super appreciative. We do this for you. We're doing our very best to bring you guests that have interesting information to help you lead, lead, lead your best lives and live your best lives and also give you some 
insights in terms of how to get into different industries and how to stay well, and just a lot of information out there about what's going on that you may not glean from your consumption of mainstream media. We don't have an agenda here. We're just bringing information from experts all around the world. I've interviewed over 750 thought leaders from all different kinds of uh, areas of expertise, and they're there for you, and you can determine what works for you and maybe what doesn't work for you. You can also catch more about me, Robert Manny, at my website, robertmanny.com. I've got over 300 blog posts about life, love, the pursuit of happiness, and lots of the topics we cover here on Guys Guys Radio. And you can also download three free chapters of my novel, The Guys Guys Guide to Love, which is a rom-com about two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money in the fast-paced world of Madison Avenue advertising. It's been called the male successor to Sex in the City. It's fast, it's frothy, it's fun, and it's sexy, and I think you'll enjoy it. And you can, get, again, download three free chapters on my website, and if you like the book, you can pick up the physical or the digital copy, Amazon, or wherever you buy your books these days, and it's there for you. I'm also writing a series now on aging. It's called Aging is a Choice, and I'm writing for UK Health Triangle Magazine is the digital arm of UK Health Radio, Health Triangle Magazine. So I'm writing a series about aging is a choice and all of the kind of decision points I've faced in my own personal life and how I'm doing my very best to glean information and share about longevity and living quality years. Because as a boomer, it's all about longevity now. We want to stay healthy. I've got a 10-year-old son. I've got a, my wife is uh, younger than me, and I want to stay vital and healthy, and I've faced some of the challenges that lots of us have faced out there in terms of health stuff, and I've managed each step of the way to keep going, keep on keeping on, and I hope you will too, and I hope I can share some insights there. So Guys Guys Radio, we're here every week. We've got a ton of great guests coming up that I can't wait to get to, and until then, I'm going to be back next week. I'll see you then, and like I always like to say, guys, guys. Finish first. <laughs>